Good evening, everyone. Thank you for being here. Join me in our call to Advent. Listen, here is the good news. The God of time and space is far beyond us, yet nearer than body and bone. He is joining us in person, growing in a mother's womb, delivered in the labor of birth, washed and clothed, cradled, nursed, and fed. Let's pray together. Holy God, in this season of glory and beauty, we come and we stand before you. It is a season like no other that we experience in all of our lives. Yes, the Easter season is the season that gives life to this season. It is through your son's resurrection that, that we discover that life is eternal and that the birthday of that child means so much to the world. But it is in this season that we see the color and the beauty of the coming of your love. We see the glory of the, of the birth of the king that was born to this earth. We give thanks to you, O oh God, that you chose to come to this world through your son and to show us precisely what you were like, to show us precisely the personality of the God of heaven, to show us how we are to live and the way we are to love and the way we are to care and the way that we are to experience you. This gift has brought such hope to the world and it changes the world when we allow it to change us and when we allow your spirit to live through us to those around us. Help us, O oh God, as we gather in this place to experience the wonder of your grace, the wonder of your son's birth. Help us to know that in you life is different than it has ever been before simply because you have come to us and you have changed everything. Let that change be birthed within our souls tonight, O oh God. And help us to know that when we come together in this place and when we lift our hearts toward you, we are experiencing what heaven was always meant to be and we are experiencing what earth can be if we will live as nearly to you as we can. Make it so, Lord Jesus, for it is in your name I offer this prayer. Amen. Hear our scripture. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city in, of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when, the, when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. 
and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is Henry Oswa Tanner's painting of the angel Gabriel's visit to Mary. You can see he pictures a young girl sitting on the edge of her bed. Her room is simply furnished. There's a small oil lamp, a water jug, a couple of blankets, a wrinkled rug. Mary sits near the center of the picture, yet her attention is directed elsewhere. She's looking toward a luminous beam of light at the foot of her bed, a radiance beyond human experience or understanding. I think one of the things that we see in Tanner's painting is the vulnerable humanity of a peasant girl in stark contrast to the awesome otherness of a heavenly being. And that is precisely Mary's uh, situation in our scripture lesson from the Gospel of Luke. An angel appears out of the blue into the earthly realms, and for reasons known only to God, Mary is chosen to be the mother of his son. Why Mary? Why Mary? You know, for centuries, Christians have attempted to explain God's decision to, to choose Mary to be the mother of the Son of God. In 1854, Pope Pius IX declared the doctrine of the Immaculate Conception, teaching that from the first moment of her conception, Mary was by the singular grace and privilege of the Almighty God and in view of the merits of Jesus Christ, Savior of mankind, kept free from the stain of original sin. Mary is the mother of Jesus who came to redeem us from sin. A redeemer from sin must be without sin. Therefore, they reasoned in order for Jesus to be sinless, his mother must also be sinless. On the other hand, in medieval times, Anselm of Canterbury claimed that Mary's selection had nothing at all to do with being sinless. He believed that Mary was a second Eve who could undo the work of the first Eve. He wrote, It is most fitting for the medicine of sin and the cause of our salvation to be born of a woman, since such evil came from a woman. It is right that such a great good should come from a woman to renew their hope. If the cause of all evil for the human race was a virgin, it is still more fitting for the cause of all good to be a virgin. Well, why did God choose Mary? 
Was she free from sin? The Bible makes no such claim. Was she a second Eve who could undo the work of the, the first Eve? Well, that wrongly assumes all the blame for human sin should be pinned on Eve and conveniently overlooks that Adam took a bite out of that same forbidden fruit. So why did God choose Mary? Did God choose Mary because of her prior greatness? Obviously, Luke paints Mary in a positive light. She's thoughtful, she's believing, she's worshipful, she's devoted to uh, Jewish law and to piety. But the Bible cites none of these as attributes as the reason God chose Mary to be the mother of Jesus. In our scripture lesson, Gabriel speaks twice of Mary as favored one or blessed of God. And the root of Gabriel's message, usually translated blessed or favored, is charis or grace. In other words, God was gracing Mary in choosing her to bear his son, Jesus. Mary's distinction lies not in her own personal merit. It's not something that she earned. It's not something that she deserved. It's not for good behavior. It's not because she was sinless. It was not because she came to undo the work of Eve. The fact is that the emphasis does not even fall upon Mary. The emphasis is upon God and God's free and gracious choice of Mary to be the mother of his boy. Mary was favored by God. And we would do well this evening to ask ourselves what it means to be favored by God. This story that we call the Annunciation, God choosing Mary, reveals to us that God's grace is not based upon any merit that we might have or on anything we might have done or not done. God's favor cannot be held to any pattern of buying or losing or achieving or manipulating. There is no quid pro quo. God's favor cannot be understood by any ledger of merits and demerits. God's favor is unmerited. It is God giving away God. For nothing except the giving itself. We're talking about grace, God's grace, his unmerited favor. Now, this all seems to be too good to be true. Surely there is something we have to do. Don't we have to earn God's love and attention? Isn't God's love contingent on are having correct information, saying all the right words, performing all the right rituals. If I get all the right answers, surely God will like me. If I'm good, if I'm moral, if I have good manners, if I demonstrate self-control, if I do this, if I do that, then and only then will I earn God's love. Unfortunately, this is where many of us live even though we may know in our heads what the scripture says about the grace of God and we affirm it I know that is certainly where I've sometimes lived my life 
trying to earn worthiness or to validate myself before God and others by some extrinsic measure. After all, isn't that how culture works? Isn't it a meritocracy? Don't we reward performance and achievement and attainment in our society? Don't we value winning over losing? Don't we reward hard work and good behavior? Don't we believe that to the victor belongs the spoils? Sure we do. And I'm not being critical of that because I believe in hard work. I believe in good behavior. I think when someone does well, they, they ought to be recognized for their performance and their achievements. But we have to be very careful here because when we're talking about God's love and acceptance, his choosing of us is not a contest. It's not something that by our own efforts we can achieve. God's favor is not based on performance principle. His is an entirely different economy and equation. You know, there's a parable that Jesus once told about a man who came to work at the very last hour of the day. But he gets paid as much as the one who came the first hour of the day and worked all day long. Well, that's not fair, is it? Let me tell you, that parable makes Americans' heads spin around. We don't like that story. It's not the way that we think. It's not the way you and I have been brought up. We've been brought up to put in your time, to earn your keep. This story was scandalous then. It's scandalous now, but it's a clear signal that Jesus is presenting a very different worldview than the culture of achievement that we have been brought up in. Just think about the Israelites, God's chosen people. God did not choose or love the Israelites because they were good. In Deuteronomy, God says to Israel, if Yahweh set his heart on you and chose you, it was not because you were greater than other people. In fact, you were the least of all peoples. It was for love of you and to keep the oath that he swore to your fathers that Yahweh has brought you out with his mighty hand and redeemed you from slavery. This passage is foundational to our understanding of grace. God did not choose or love the Israelites because they were, were good. He was indifferent to any criterion of worthiness. And just think about King David, an adulterous egomaniac who impregnates a married woman and then sends her husband off to the front lines to be killed in order to protect his name. However, he is loved by God who continually reaches out to him, and he later called David a man after God's own heart. David learned that his being chosen had nothing at all to do with his own worthiness. He eventually realizes that whatever worthiness he has is entirely a gift from God. And then there's Mary. There's no mention of merit. We don't know if she's done anything. She appears to have led a quiet, ordinary life in a little village in the backwoods of Galilee. But God chose her. For you see, God doesn't need worthiness ahead of time. God creates worthiness by his choices. 
Did you notice that when Gabriel appeared to Mary and gave her the news that she would be the mother of the Son of God, she didn't say, well, I'm not worthy. She just asked for clarification. Well, how can this be? Since I'm a virgin. Mary never asked if, whether, or why. She knows she's not worthy. But she knows how to say yes to an utterly free gift. And her response is one of humility and obedience. Behold the bondservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your, to your word. Now, Mary was anything but passive. Mary's words of submission were only the beginning, not the end of her obedience. Mary went on to become an active participant in the old unfolding story of faith. Luke portrays Mary and Joseph as involved faithful parents, fulfilling all that the law of Moses required of them with respect to their son. Mary's relationship with Jesus extended into his adult life. And just as our relationships with our adult children change, Mary learned that hers too had to change. Mary had to make a choice of whether to accept who Jesus was, the Son of God, and choose she did. Luke sees Mary as a crucial member of the first Christian community. She's the first person in Luke to profess belief. She's the first person to proclaim God's activity in, her, in the Magnificat. She's named among the circle of believers, believers who gathered in the upper room after the death, burial, and resurrection and ascension of Jesus. In an act of servanthood, Mary surrendered herself to the purposes of God and willingly became an agent of God's work of salvation for all of humanity. And it all began because of God's grace. And that's the way it is with us. God chooses us. He calls us his beloved, not because we're worthy. We're not worthy. But as Richard Rohr writes, God does not love you because you are good. God loves you because God is good. There's absolutely nothing, folks, that we can do to make God love us more than God already does. And there's absolutely nothing we can do to make God love us any less. God's love for us is constant. It's irrevocable. He's always the initiator. And our part, our part is to be open to it and to receive it and to let it transform us, to be willing to be chosen to be willing to be God's beloved, to be willing to be graced by God. When I was serving at one of my previous churches, I occasionally had lunch with one of my church members who also happened to be a psychologist. It was nice to get some cheap therapy. I can remember one occasion Randall and I were together and he asked me how I was doing and I proceeded to talk about the church and how I felt about it and how, I was, how it was doing. And Randall interrupts me and he says, I didn't ask you how the church was doing. I was asking you how you were doing. Now, it didn't happen all at once. 
But something happened on that day that changed me. I realized that what I thought and how I felt about myself was so wrapped up in the church, what other people thought about me, whether I was being successful or whether I was achieving anything, whether I was earning my pay, instead of resting in the knowledge that my worthiness was not based upon any of that, but upon what God thought about me, on the fact that he chose me, that I'm God's beloved, and I need to receive that, and I need to accept that from him. Again, Richard Rohr says that to have interface with God is to know oneself in one's truest and deepest being. And when you allow yourself to be perfectly received, totally gazed upon by the one who knows everything and receives everything, you are indestructible. And then the voices of the crowd, even the negative ones, have little power to hurt you. The great Christian mystic Meister Eckhart echoed this same thought when he wrote, the eyes with which you will look back at God will be the same eyes with which God first looked at you. Well, I suppose if I was to summarize and put in a nutshell what I've just said here, it would be this. The promise of grace means there is nothing absolutely nothing you can do to earn God's attention and love because, folks, you've already got it. It's about awakening, not accomplishing. It's about realization, not performance. It's about receiving, not attaining. God does not need our worthiness ahead of time by choosing you and me he creates worthiness it's grace it's all grace it's abundant grace full measure pressed down shaken together running over and pouring into your lap this is the grace that mary experienced two thousand years ago and it's the grace that God gives us now during this season of Advent as we prepare for the celebration of the Word becoming flesh. All we need to do is to receive it. All we need to do is to say with Mary, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, let it be done with me according to your word. Thanks be to God. You join with me in our prayer of confession. Oh God, it is Advent, the season in which we prepare our hearts to welcome Christ, the Prince of Peace. We confess to you the ways in which we sometimes block the peace of Christ in our lives. Forgive us for rushing and scurrying to get things done, for our worry about little details and the impatience and irritability we sometimes feel and take out on one another. We confess to you, O God of peace, 
Though we make ourselves less at peace during this time of the year, your peace is always there for us. When we feel overwhelmed, when we're filled with worry, when we become irritable, when the guilt of our ways threaten to overcome us, help us to remember that we are forgiven in Christ. Instill within us your peace, O God. Help us, O God, to make choices this Advent that bring us closer to you. Help us to experience your peace so that we may spread Christ's peace and love to others. Amen. And then our assurance of pardon. The good news of this Advent season is forgiveness of sin and new life. Let us commit our lives to Christ's way of hope and peace. Thanks be to the Advent God who comes among us, setting us free to love and serve. I want to remind you that we're uh, gathering downstairs for Fellowship Bill. I believe we're having... Uh, Substation two, this may be your last chance, so I invite you to, uh, to come down and enjoy table fellowship with one another. Also, I believe the intercessory prayer group is going to meet after uh, the meal in the uh, parlor, so you're invited to come to that as well. Well, let's uh, have our blessing, shall we? Well, Lord, we give you thanks for this time that we can gather together in this place to, to worship to sing Christmas carols and to hear the Christmas story and to pray together and to uh, give our adoration uh, to you. And so, Lord, we thank you for the example of Mary. We thank you that even 2,000 years later, she serves as an example to us to what it means to, uh, to accept uh, who she is and to allow you to grace her and to favor her and to use her uh, and Lord that she uh, submitted herself in obedience uh, and humility to you. So Lord as we go from this place help us also to live lives of obedience and submission to you and as we go to the fellowship hall we ask your blessings upon our time together and our table fellowship Bless the food and bless, uh, uh, bless the one who prepared it for us. And we pray that it would nurture us so that we may go about and do your will. In Jesus' name, amen.